Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hey friends, thanks again for your repeated support of this podcast that is very much appreciated. I do not take it for granted, so thank you for your kindness of listening in, and I hope that you continually enjoy, because I continually enjoy, that's why we're still here. So, um, my guest today is actually a first for this podcast, uh, his name is Shav Martinez, and um, he is somebody that I have never met before, so this was the first meeting today that we met up. I was um, chatting with my friend Major about great guests for this podcast, and so she had mentioned uh, this gentleman, uh, and we made it happen, and I'm so glad we did. I just love hearing people's stories. We all have a very unique um, family life situation growing up into adulthood, all the things that make us who we are. So hearing Shab's story was pretty amazing. So I hope that you will enjoy. And we also made a cocktail. By we, I mean me. It is... We're just going to call it the shove. I mean, why not? It sounds like a hotel or something. I don't know. But, um, yes, it is. Anyway, so this cocktail that we made, very delicious, very tropical, super summery, as in it almost feels like it's middle of summer, but we haven't even, like, begun. We almost have not begun summer. It is bonkers, but... It is a very summery drink. It is an ounce and a half of Tito's in a shaker with ice. And then we're going to do one half an ounce of lychee uh, puree. And then we're going to do a half an ounce of passion fruit puree as well or syrup or chinoa, which I am out of, but that would be great to use here as well. And then a half an ounce of lime juice and shake all that up really good in a shaker. Pour, I poured it into a rocks glass or a, a Collins glass would also probably be nice. Um, that was pretty much full of, uh, full of ice. 
And then from there, you'll, you'll pour all that over the ice and then top it off with my favorite tonic water, or you can use sparkling water or club soda, whatever your preference is. And then just give that one or two little, you know, swirl around to mix it all together. And there you have the shop. It's so good. I will probably drink, be drinking it for a good amount of the summer. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoy the cocktail. I hope, or the cocktail, Lord. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And um, yeah, ciao. Enjoy. Arrivederci. Hey, Shav. Hi, how's it going? Good. Thanks for being on the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, cheers to you. Cheers. Salud. Woohoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are still social distance at this point. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Which is remarkable. Yeah. This mm-hmm. long, but here we are. We are... Heading into uncharted territories right. and seeing what the summer the holds summer, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> how things resume. We're just starting to resume dinner parties for strangers. Okay. Yeah. Love that. So that's happening this month. But that's been, that's the first time since March of last year. Wow. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I think that's like the people, they live out of state. Some of my friends are always like, yeah, we're watching the social experiment that is Florida. Sure. Um, to figure out what yes. the rest of the world and country is going to do as everyone watches you guys. And uh, I've noticed even in myself as we've kind of come out of our bunkers mm-hmm. um, per se, which my wife and I have done pretty well, but just like anyone else here, we've done what you can and what you can get away with um but yeah i've I've realized that i'm more social i'm more socially anxious and i've never been like that like interesting oh yeah like Like coming back out and coming back out and like going places like i've not been the mask police i've not been like very like rigid around certain of the uh restrictions but if we'd go somewhere to eat we'd be like hey let's just take it to go and we go eat in a park or Mm -hmm. let's prioritize patio seating or whatever but the first time we went back to like an indoor restaurant or to a bar i was like oh god (laughs) like there's so many people this guy's super close to me yeah and i've never felt that before sure which i mean yeah what a way to start our conversation but yeah that's the thing you know that that's like they're saying it'll be years before we really realize what this whole lockdown has done to us socially. Oh, yeah. Just those I little things. I feel like everyone will come out with this certain level of like PTSD. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So how that manifests and what that looks like for different people. Yeah. And of course the levels, levels of that yeah. um, are going to be vastly different, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, for different folks. But uh, it's, it's interesting how, uh, the I, I also think like Florida, we've had it pretty, pretty good yeah, for, for sure. the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit too good, but for mm-hmm. the for like a lot of the country, mm-hmm. even like California and I mean New York. I mean, there's just so many people that were really in lockdown. Oh yeah, for a really long time. Yeah, we had that two months, and after that two months, it was like yeah, pretty pretty flexible Mm -hmm. so yeah nothing in comparison to what we've seen from our neighbors in different states and and our friends and family who live elsewhere and we i know families who moved here in the last year because it's like yeah we picked the spot on the map that we felt like our kids can go back to school in person Mm because virtual learning wasn't happening or 
whichever reason led them here it's like we picked florida i'm like well welcome we <laughs> got so many californians and yeah. new yorkers yeah. and so many i mean that's why the real estate market is so insane oh, yeah. right Wild. now yeah right yeah it's crazy. All right. Well, we're yeah. going to backtrack a little yep, bit. Sorry. Yep, right? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Good. <laughs> um, we have this cocktail that we are drinking mm-hmm. today, which you've already um, started to enjoy. Yes, I <laughs> yes. did. Sorry. Jumped again there. <laughs> no, it's all Is good. Is this just garnish or should I dunk it for you more? You can do whatever yeah. you like. Yeah, yeah I'm going to. A little, to. Lime, a little lime more lime meal. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't really have a name, but it is Tito's, like I said, lychee, which is such an interesting Mm -hmm. flavor, passion fruit. So it's very like tropical lime juice and that I just shook all up. Like I said, you can, you two can make this at home. Yeah, for sure. And then after that, you just pour it over ice with some tonic water. So good. So good. And then garnished with uh, lime, which I just love. And it's just obviously it looks lovely yeah but it tastes great too i was just good said it, i love it yeah it's a little it's on good. like the sweeter side it so is. it kind of is you can add more tonic water as you please or mm-hmm. whatever but i get a lot of flack for it but i mean i usually like things that are a little on the sweeter side sure and yeah. are fruity well i mean and as hot as it is i can imagine drinking this by the pool or oh. like being outside yeah. and loving this yeah. yes very tropical mm-hmm. very very delicious so i would love to know mm-hmm. for you what would be shav's go-to drink cocktail yeah. spirit wine like if you have like i'm i'm i've had a long day and i i love to i just like this would make me just happy to have just have a drink at the end of the mm-hmm. day what would be your go-to um, drink it's hard because, like I, I mentioned, like I, my family grew up. My dad's Scotch and uh, or like whiskey and Sprite is like his thing. Like okay. he's always like Doers, Black Label, and then he goes and some Sprite, okay, <laughs> not, not a whole lot, <laughs> like just a, a yeah, like touch. a splash, a yeah, splash. like a little splash. And uh, I have a lot of memories of that being his drink at the end of the day. Okay, um, or a cold beer. That's kind of his his vibe for me. I would. I think I adopted that for a while. It's okay. kind of like, oh, if I'm going to have a drink, like you just drink a beer at the end of the day, right? And then uh, just really started to grow an affinity towards like whiskey or bourbon. Mm. And because of the people who were introducing me mm. to drink, it was always they were always drinking it neat. Right. I drank it neat. And so that's kind of now there's either a Kentucky bourbon, like a bullet, which is always not that expensive and right. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um there's some there's always that in our cabinet or in our little locker and uh there's probably there's one drink that my boss poured me once oban he's my drink is straight as again but i think it's like a cognac or something i don't know okay but brown again like brown spirit brown spirit love a brown spirit yeah so it felt like that's kind of the wheelhouse and then if i go out somewhere just because i feel like i don't want to be super like complicated i'll probably get an old-fashioned um Uh which maybe should I mean, be the whiskey sip. meat is not very complicated no but if i'm like out socially like i feel like someone drank a moscow mule someone's drinking like whatever their yeah. order is you want i'm to like have a cocktail yeah and i'm like oh yeah let me just have whiskey neat you know I, I don't know maybe it's not the same social feel or fun okay. maybe it's not a fun drink it's I'm not, not a fun a, drink yeah i don't but know but it's your drink it is my drink you're paying for it and you're drinking yeah yeah right. it's true but um so you tend, I, for, tend to go for an actual drink when you're out with folks. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And, and I'll also be like, 
I am the guiltiest person where if the bartender or the bar has some kind of specialty, seasonal, anything, that's me. Okay. I don't even care if I don't like the stuff in it. Like, if there's a seasonal menu. Really? If there's a seasonal menu or a limited menu anywhere, I feel like I have to have it. And my wife hates that about when I do groceries because okay. I'll be, like, walking by something. Like, look, limited time on this kind of yogurt. Take so me that. they get you. Oh, they get me every time. They get- <laughs> I, I am. I, they get me every single time. Like, I think okay. the one time that it felt like such a bad idea that it almost stopped me from doing that is I had true moo milk that was okay. orange, like a creamsicle for <clears> Halloween. <throat> not a good idea. That does not sound... And then I don't like to not finish anything. Uh-huh. So I had to drink the, the whole same. gallon. Like if I, I started, I... not just what I poured, I had to finish that gallon. I right. bought that. I'm going to finish it. And uh, sometimes it can be like that. I, with... am, I am the same. Yeah. So if a bartender locally might have something recently... Um, I don't even know if it's a real drink, but a, a buddy of mine started pouring us some kind of like mezcal scotch bitter type of thing. Um, Sounds pretty intense. It was very peaty. Like I'm, I like whiskeys and like bourbons, but I'm not crazy about like just good old scotch peat. Like I feel like my throat closes up. Like, okay. Like, okay. That's just being sipped. A little like too very much. little. A little too much. Yeah. Um, even the way my dad makes his drink. Sometimes I'm just like pops, like that's just black label, <laughs> like all the way. <laughs> and then yeah, like that drink lately, mezcals have slowly become something I'm flirting a lot more with. Sure. Just because it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, I have so many friends that are into mezcal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how. I I, a buddy of mine literally just poured me a drink one night. Right. And he's like, do you like it? I was like, I do. And he's cool. You like mezcal. I'm like, I guess I do. And right. so we just started doing that a lot more. And so we kind of shop and compare notes and stuff like that. Fair but enough. He does it a lot more than I do. Okay. Because I used to go back to him. It's like, yeah, I just drink a bourbon. Neat. <laughs> Yeah. Are you a home bartender or like? I'm trying to be. Okay. So we have, I, I laugh because there's two people in my life that we kind of coined as like our personal bartenders. Okay. Um, one of them is what I would call like my prima and mana, which would be like the translation. I don't know if it's first sister, si- cousin. First sister. Cousin, sister. Cousin, it's sister. weird. It's like somebody okay. you grew up with. You'd be like, that's oh, that's my sister. And people would be like, I didn't know you had a sister. Well, it's actually my cousin. But she's close enough to be ah, my sister. Okay. Um, so we regard her as our sister. And uh, she tends to be the one who every holiday or family gathering, which sometimes happens every other week, um, she'll send like, hey, what do you think of this? I'm like, yeah, we'll try that. And then I have a sister-in-law now who she kind of in that same wheelhouse where it's like, saw this online. So they're like feeding you ideas? Yeah. Or okay. and they'll make it. They're like, hey, we just need to, we're going to bring this. Do you make anything at home? I've tried recently because of them, really. I'm okay. like, yeah, I want to, I want to contribute, you right. know? And so I've tried a couple of different things and, you know, I've probably very bad Paloma, um, <laughs> a lot of stuff that my, my wife is like, that she would. pretty hard to screw up. My my uh, my wife would like like I said guzzle this. Okay. Um, so like we get we go to uh, Chroma out in Lake Nona mm-hmm. sometimes, and there's like a gin drink there. Okay. That she drinks, and I'm like, I do love gin. Yeah, I'm like, it looks yes. pretty and it's cool, and I'm like, what does it taste like? I'm like, baby, that's juice. Like it tastes like juice. I don't know what's in it, but I get why she likes it. So I've tried to make that at home. Okay. And um, yeah, I think recently. You know, we bought our little stuff. We got our bar card and uh-huh. we got all our little thing. Yeah. Kind of feels like a party trick right now. And, you know, when you grow up, 
in a certain culture where all you drink is Hennessy anyway. Um, you know, like not very versed in bartending skills. I'm just like, yeah, we're drinking Hennessy. Like that's just right. kind of what we're doing. And, but to uh, actually have some things on your bar cart that you can diversify. Yeah, yeah, and try new things. And right. that's that's one of the things. Like I'm good with trying different things. Like there was a while where everyone around the certain our families were like getting really into wine i'm like that's not going to be my speed like i yeah it's, i don't know like i just rather have a cocktail yeah like, okay well what are you gonna make i'm like i don't know one of the collins bros i guess I'm like, <laughs> it was john or tom i'm gonna try something you right. know and um my my buddies would like joke for a while because i would be like yeah i'm just gonna get a whiskey sour and like we don't drink whiskey sours anymore that was when we were in college i'm like it's That's good. Not true. Yeah, right. Whiskey sour is my favorite cocktail. Let's go. Favorite. Yeah. With the egg whites or no egg white? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Egg white all egg the white? way. I think all so. The way. If egg I don't white ask anything, like if I don't ask, like some of the bars locally, like they'll tell me, like, oh, we don't have egg whites. I'm like, oh, fine, we'll just make it anyway. Okay. And some of the places that don't ask, I'm or don't tell me that they don't have it. I assume it's in there. I don't really say i hate either one but because one of our friends who drinks it drinks it without the egg whites i got in the habit of asking for no egg whites oh yeah you're missing out i'm missing out right yes okay the I'll egg white egg is the levity to me it like changes the drink and gives it it doesn't really change the flavor of it but it just changes the texture yeah and, and texture can yeah. be everything but anyway yeah. Yeah. yeah so for me that's that is my favorite cocktail so if you were going to uh, head out on the mm-hmm. on the town as we can do these days mm-hmm. a bit safely. Um, where would be your top like two to three picks of to like grab a cocktail? If I'm staying close or by the house, I was night. I would mention if you're an Orlando native, you know, like I say Lake Nona, and everyone thinks I live somewhere else. Uh-huh. I'm still on the fringes of you Orlando, but I'm in Orlando. So um, it feels super far, but it is also like for us, it was like well, it's all on the highway, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So if I'm staying local, like I meant, I would go to Chroma. Um, I enjoy their bar. I, I, we like the aesthetic, the vibe, the feel. Being Have you there. had their goat cheese balls? I'm not big on goat cheese. Wow. I know. I'm sorry. Don't kick me out. No goat cheese, no egg whites. But I love their uh, the Brussels sprouts. The Brussels sprouts rule. Yeah, the Brussels sprouts is super good. I'm not kidding you. Like yeah. I was talking about with my brother, I was just like, their Brussels sprouts are legendary. Yeah. to me. They're, yeah, whatever they put in is like. I'll crack. take it. Yeah, I'll have it. Yes. whatever it is, just give it to me and let's yes. spoon it in. <laughs> like, right. I'm all for it. So I love so that. So good. Locally, we'd probably go there. If my wife's picking date night, she wants to go to Domu, um, which can't really get it wrong, right? Domo is my favorite restaurant okay. in Orlando. Yeah, I think probably. Chris too, for sure. Like anytime. It's like if I know the drinks are on point. Yeah. The, the chicken wings. The chicken wings. Yeah. Like that might be my favorite thing to eat. I'm just bad at ramen. Oh why? yeah, I'm bad at ramen. I'm, Do you eat it? I don't enjoy I'm not good with any hot liquid. Hot like, pasta? I mean, sure. Pasta-ish. It, it pasta-ish. I think oh, it's the broth that, for me, I'm just like... The delicious broth? <laughs> yeah, that part. With like, all the toppings? But all, I'll eat all the toppings and, like, leave the broth. Yeah. I know you, it's kind of like cereal. I just go for the stuff inside. I know the best part of cereal is cereal milk. Right. But on the broth, on the ramen, I just kind of leave it there. Okay. I'm like, wet food. What is this? Like, what am I doing? But you eat the noodles, right? Of course. Yeah, I know. Love that part of it. Okay. I normally there. She's just like, just get chicken wings because if you do right. something else, you're gonna. But there's so, there's also so many. Have you ever had the cheeses? I don't know. It's oh like yeah, yeah, the big cheese. platter or plate thing. 
It's like it comes in like a little cast iron almost, and then it has like the very corn, melty, very mm-hmm. melty. Yeah, but yeah. you get, get the fingerling potatoes, and then you dip the potatoes into the yeah. Jesus. Let's go! I'm all and about that it. Is <laughs> the jam yeah like yes it's so good cheesy potatoes yeah corn and lime and oh my gosh yeah she loves like i mean of course because of the no reservation stuff and having to like be there right on so for us it works because we have kids so it's like we're gonna be there at five o'clock because if we want to have any kind of nightcap evening anything or see something else besides domu's bar right like we're gonna have to get there we have to be yes so i would say chroma there um We've gone a lot to the Wellborn lately, I guess, so like in group settings, especially during the it's, the it's last so year where we can be outside and just yeah. kind of take up space out there. So we've done that a lot. Um, those are probably the three. Yeah. The easiest those are the three me. good yeah. ones. Chroma, yeah. Domu, and the Wellborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are... Those are so good. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is that as Orlando has re- progressed and we're going to get into, you know, your story, but mm-hmm. we've been here for a long time and just to be able to see the progression mm-hmm. of the food and the beverage scene yeah. and the cultural scene here mm-hmm. in Orlando has been pretty incredible and beautiful yeah. to see that evolve. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I remember when like the ravenous pig was almost like the only yeah like top restaurant or the only like they were like sourcing they knew you knew where they were sourcing their mm, food from and just yeah. like the ways that they prepared it and um caring about like organic and and presentation yeah but now i mean they're so great and then now we have so many other really great offerings and places to, to yeah. gather whenever my friends like stay and they go to the theme parks or something they stay out in that side right. and they're like well there was nothing really to go and see or eat and drink or this and that except chains i'm like you were in the tourist attractions like you Seriously. were in the parks like they're gonna put chilies in tgi fridays yeah. and uh, whatever else and, and they have some great eats over there too sure like some fine dining but there's so much on yeah this side of you town. gotta come over a little bit yeah i was telling yeah. like you didn't see orlando yet which is crazy because even that and to them is always funny because i i mean i drove 20 minutes to get here right and i'm still in orlando and so sometimes it's hard to tell people like yeah you can drive i mean sure in downtown central but then if you go but there's east orlando there's east orlando there's oh, west yeah. orlando which i love i grew Metro up west. before i moved to east orlando i lived on the west side of town and yeah so that's a different world a different feeling and i loved it there and right then if you go i guess that would be south west or southeast and start getting closer to Kissimmee I'm like oh this feels like home you know <laughs> like, like this is and I'll share that later but yeah when I yeah. moved to that side of town I was just like are we still in Orlando right like, this feels like you know little Puerto Rico or you know a small Caribbean island something I'm used to yeah um, so so speaking so. of feels mm-hmm. like home um I would love to kind of hear and this is kind of interesting because this is the mm-hmm. first time I've met you yeah. um but I would yeah I would love to hear a little bit about your story sure in your home and kind of like you know I kind of believe that we don't really get a choice yeah. in where we're placing the universe we're mm-hmm. just you know put somewhere and we don't yeah. choose our DNA we don't choose our family of origin like we don't mm-hmm. really choose the so many things about life and then we are placed in the universe and then mm-hmm. from there we're all trying to figure it out yep. from there yep. we're bumbling around 
we're making mistakes, we are learning, we're growing, all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would love to know kind of like what were those early years like for you as far as like for your home home life, parents, siblings? uh, Siblings. So I have, I am the middle child. I have two brothers, one that's about a little less than two years older than me. Okay. And then my younger brother is eight years younger than me. So a little gap. Right. A little gap there. Surprise. Um, Yep, that was definitely a surprise. (laughs) We remind him all the time, Shanamanda, if you're listening, um, you are the surprise. We love you. But um, (laughs) we, I have two brothers. My parents were both born here in the States. My mom in Patterson, New Jersey. And my- Have you seen Patterson? What's that? The film? No, I haven't. I know. Adam Driver? No, Adam Driver is kind of like a dreamy crush. Um, Tell me about it. Yeah, so, but I I guess I should learn about mom so much. Yeah, she she never lived in New Jersey for very long. Both my dad, like my dad's born in Brooklyn. Okay. But then shortly after, um, both my parents made it back to the island. My parents are Puerto Rican. Okay. So they went back to Puerto Rico um, and they lived there. Um, My family... My mom's part of a pretty big, it doesn't feel big, but when I tell people, they're like, yeah, that's big. I think there's six or seven siblings. Okay. Um, Feels big. Feels big. And then we're also very close. Feels bigger. So it's not like, hey, I got X amount of siblings and everyone's spread out. It's like, no, they're all very close. Okay. Um, So always grew up around family. Always, it felt like community, village living at all times. Um, My dad has... Were you in Puerto Rico or in Florida? Both. Okay. So in Puerto Rico, they were still spread out. Once we moved to Florida, everyone kind of started coming one by one. And so they took turns on who lived with who. And so everyone got set up and you know sure. established. So my dad um, has two siblings uh, from the same mom and dad. And then he has four half siblings uh, from his dad. And so military, they're... they're Middle school, high school sweethearts, you know, they've Whoa. been together. I think, man, I hope I'm not terribly wrong telling their story, but I think like 14, they've been together since they were like 14. Yeah. So. Who are you even? Yeah. Yeah. Who are you at 14? Yeah. Right. And they're Whoa. still together. Yeah. My parents would be, oh, I can't do math. How old would they be this year? 58? Okay. Yeah. So they've so been they've together been 30, 40, 40 some years. 40 some years. They've been married forever and wow. dating or around each other for even longer. They grew up in a close <laughs> area in Puerto Rico, so families knew each other. And, right. Um, they get married. My dad graduates a year before my mom and goes straight to the military. So my dad was overseas in Korea for some time. And uh, as we moved around, my brother, my older brother's born in Alabama, okay. of all places. All so right. my brother's from the Bama. Deep South. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, roll tide, I guess. And right. so he's there. I was born in Fort Hood in Texas uh, when he got relocated. Uh, so I was born in Texas. And then we moved back to the island. And then somewhere, bounced around somewhere up north, I think New Jersey. I was. Uh, Wondering like what was my first memory? I think one day I just tried as hard as I could to remember like my mm-hmm. oldest memory. Sure. And I don't know if I was good at it or not, but I was like, this is the memory. I can remember the room, the steps, and this and then I describe it to my mom. She's like, I was like, how old was I? Like a year old or something. She's like, no, baby, you were four. <laughs> like <laughs> that was New Jersey. <laughs> you're talking. You're describing the house in New Jersey. I'm like, oh, okay. okay. So from New Jersey, my earliest memory, we moved here when I would have been going into kindergarten. Okay. But my 
birthday being in September, and obviously up north you start in September, birthdays in September, I could start that year Mm -hmm. because it started earlier here. They stopped me from entering kindergarten. So where my brother and I would have always been only a a grade level apart, apart. we were two now. Okay. So we moved to, what would they call it? It's right outside of Eatonville. Uh, Between Eatonville and Maitland, there's like a small little plot. It's uh, Forest City. What? Forest City. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard of it, right? Forest? Forest City. Because if you blink, you're already out of it. So most people, especially where we lived, we just said we were in Eatonville. Right. Because we knew we weren't in Maitland. (laughs) So we're like, yeah, we we grew up in Eatonville. Fair enough. Um, Yeah. So my little brother always says that. He's like, I'm not telling people I'm from Forest City. I'm from Eatonville. It's the next closest thing. So we um, lived there. We moved into... Uh, my dad's sister's house, which I met, like, was always village living. My dad's sister was here first, and we moved in with them right. or into their house. And uh, my grandmother moved in with us, my mom's, my, or my dad's mom. Okay. Um, she moved in with us because my dad would work two jobs. My mom worked all day, and we got two kids. So my grandmother brought us up. My grandma mm. was like, four foot ten, <laughs> speaks no English. Oh. Like, just mighty and powerful and all the things and uh she raised us um my dad was always at work and when he wasn't at work he's a musician so he'd gig at night so him my mom would go out and he'd gig and my mom would dance and probably grab a drink somewhere right uh, they would do that (laughs) and uh invite all their siblings and i sometime in that process one of my mom's sisters was going to move to florida Mm. And so they moved in with us. So we right there outside of Eatonville in a small little home with two bedrooms, or I guess there was three. And then we built out the little garage space into another room for my grandma. It was grandma, me and my brother, mom and dad. So there's five. Then it was Titi Pucci, um, her, her three kids. Oh, wow. So there was nine of us. And then my cousin was pregnant. So there was going to be 10 of us coming. And so there was always a lot of people in the house. Like, right. you know, and then when my brother, my little brother was born, now we have another baby in the house. And so there was And they 11. were still there? Yeah, it was 11 of us all in the house. Together. Wow. Yeah. So there was 11 of us in the house. So you kind of grow up sharing space. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the So theater. your nuclear family is surrounded by your extended family yeah. in your home. Yeah, for sure. In the right. house. Yeah. And so we always had that dynamic. Um and so it was it was cool. It was culturally different because we had my family who was moving here from Puerto Rico who are Spanish speakers. Mm-hmm. Me and my brother who are going to school here who although our first language was Spanish were English speakers because of school. And I think very early on, I was probably the more defiant one of the group who Mm. didn't like being teased at school for having an accent. So I just chose like very early on, like, no, I speak English. And to this day, like my family would speak to me in Spanish and I respond in English, which is hard because because it's my first language. I'm super fluent in my mind. Like I'm having this whole, they don't start speaking English just because like they will have full conversations them in Spanish me in English but because at an early age I remember being like why is everyone making fun of the way I talk you know and I didn't like that feeling right so I just started speaking English and my grandmother would always but did you speak Spanish in the house 
to my grandma especially because she didn't know anything but if i really if i really want to be cruel to her uh-huh. then i would just speak only in english because she didn't know like english like did she learn any she didn't she didn't but she didn't need it i guess in the sense of like she's at home caretaking and just kind of raising these kids and mm-hmm. you know when it came to homework my brother helps me with homework or when mom gets home she helps and she was really there to make sure we were fed and not killing each other because there's 11 of us in the house so Whoa. you know it'd be rowdy and stuff like that but um right. yeah i think even culturally that was always growing up right outside of Eatonville, which is, you know, historically and predominantly black. And mm-hmm. like, we grew up going to like the Zoran and Hurston uh, festival yes. every year. And like, that was the culture that we were brought into and it really embraced us. Mm. But then I went to school at a school named Lake Sebelia, which is like right as uh, Maitland begins kind of like, by Lake Lily. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like behind that somewhere back there in the corners. I can't even remember where. But um, so you go to school, you grow up Puerto Rican, Spanish, going living in a predominantly black neighborhood, black area town, going to school with a very mixed race. And all I knew was like, I know I'm not white. I know I'm not black, although this is what feels safe and like home to me. Mm. And I remember telling someone, like, well, I'm Puerto Rican. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, you don't know. I, I was like, I don't know, but I know that's what I am. Right. And had you lived there? You had lived there when I you lived were there when I was a kid, kid, not old enough to remember anything. Right. And, you know, so that, you know, it was funny because I remember telling my dad one day, I said, hey, like, there's this kid in my class. I think he, he also speaks Spanish. And he was like, what's his name? And I told him, like, yeah, that's your cousin. And I always thought it was a joke. <laughs> it really was my cousin. It was like a second cousin or like a twice removed type of right. situation, but they were family. I'm like, of course they were, because there was no other at that time, especially like really not many. No, we were like maybe it was just a little corner that we were in. There was just wasn't a lot of Spanish people around us. It was not a lot of other Latinos. It just felt like okay, like this is okay. My my family who lives in Seminole County has a very different experience from me who lives right outside of Eatonville, which is fine. I feel like East Orlando is also... Well, that's where we ended up moving. Ah, so then, okay, I was going to say. Was like, yeah, so when we moved <laughs> to East Orlando, everyone's Latino. Everyone speaks Spanish more than they speak English. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, mm-hmm. I went from literally being in school thinking, no one's like me, no one understands mm-hmm. me, and actually making me somewhat more quiet and reserved through elementary school my mom would call me a liar probably never quiet but maybe more reserved in elementary to so then, at home you're pretty oh always loud boring. rambunctious the wild one like right. it was always like you know high energy frenetic energy at all times like it was mm-hmm. just hyper mm-hmm. and uh when we moved i was in fifth grade and when we moved over to east orlando i could sense like there was more there was other people who were like us and mm. there was you know i i kind of missed whatever side of Orlando, north orlando northwest orlando whatever that is but i was like oh everyone out here is spanish you go to a grocery store and there's placitas and there's places that you know sell ingredients that my it's parents fine. normally had to get their family to bring them and there was different like cultural changes that were new to me mm. and i was like oh it was nice and it was it mirrors 
finally had mirrors and that was important. And and what I mean by mirrors is like there was finally something that I could see myself in. You know, it was other people, other families, other, you know, subculture, whether it was just jokes or understanding that I was just like, man, my family's like that too. Or it's like, hey, who's picking you up from school today? Well, my tia. I'm like, oh, my, my titi lives with me. You know what I mean? Like, we all live together. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Like the bus stop would get there and there's like nine school children. Like, yeah, they're all coming back to my house, by the way. Um, what was like the, the vibe or the feeling in your house? Was it um, like pretty smooth and flowing was it loving was it tension was it like i mean there's that's a lot of people to live in one house so like yeah how i think it felt normal so i wouldn't have picked up on tension mm -hmm. because it just felt like what who we were sure. it just felt like what, what we did okay. what i knew um us living in my aunt's house and then my aunt a different aunt living with us just felt like oh that's just what we did when we moved and my parents got a much bigger house and they got their first home they my cousins moved with us mm. but then eventually they moved out and that was weirder because now i'm like what do we do with all this now you're space just with your family yeah like i have my own room which i didn't have to share with my little brother now right but it was like i have my own bed that i'm not sharing which was new um or a bathroom that was just like me and my brothers where it wasn't like wait for your cousin to get out and she needs to do this and then your aunt and there was no turn stall there right but i never sensed there being tension it always felt very loving mm -hmm. um i always say like my my parents house to this day feels like headquarters they they cook in massive pots and way too much food. like if they're still cooking for 12 or 13 people mm. when it's just like the three of them or something or just like a smaller number they still cook because like well everybody needs to eat and what if you bring a friend over or what if someone stops in we can't not offer them food like who <laughs> are we at all yeah. Times with oh food. yeah just prepared with food and right. you know and i would watch them cook and be like yeah, that many people are eating from there because then my friends from the neighborhood would eat there or, mm. you know, someone would stop by and they'd get fed before they go home. So I always remember being very loud mm. and busy, but always being very loving and uh, fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I can always remember feeling like there was never dull moments. And then so when it did get quiet, I didn't do well with the quiet. I was like, why well, need busy? Like, I prefer the busy and it was when it started to get quiet that i kind of started venturing out of the family bubble and started just doing a bunch of other stuff whether mm. it was you know starting to smoke weed or whether it was just getting involved around certain people and i'm not meaning that like oh weed i, I mean like for a 12 13 year old well i guess an 11 year old kid to be like I need something to do. Those guys are smoking. I guess I'm smoked now. Mm -hmm. And then that just kind of led to engaging a whole bunch of other things that I was like, yeah, okay, weed is one thing. Like, there's no reason why I should be buying or popping these pills when I'm like right. a sophomore in high school. Like, So yeah. so who was um, Shav in like middle school, high school era? So at that point, you're, you're living on the east side of Orlando. Yes. You're going to like... We went to Discovery... And then we, no, yeah, I went to Discovery for two years and then I moved, uh, Odyssey was the first year okay. that Odyssey opened up. And so we were the, I was the eighth grade class that opened up Odyssey Middle School. Okay. And then I graduated from university. So, yeah. Right. So I went to university 
I used to live on the east side of town, so okay. I know some of that. I didn't go to university, but my brother okay. did. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, so I went to university, and I don't know, like, I always tell people it was weird, because in the moment, like, I had always known or understood that I was well-liked. I, would, I knew, you know, my mom, who, without you know shooting ourselves in the foot for later conversation but she's a one and she Mm -hmm. was always very you know black and white and she would tell me she's like you charm the pants off of everybody you meet and i'm gonna be the one person in your life that's gonna bring you back to you for real give it to you what you need right and i'm like no mom you're the one person in my life that i need to know loves me and that cares for me and you know that's a part of our story that it was like for a long me and my mom always had tension mm-hmm. because I felt like I know that you're doing your best job in loving me by telling me what you think I need to hear but what I really need to hear from you is that you love your me and that you're proud of me that's what I need from you right and uh I didn't have language for that then sure. I just felt like you tell the other one you love them <laughs> and that one you love them like what about me right um but I would say that I was well-liked. I, I guess I, I, I was popular. Um, I did sports. I did a lot sports. of sports. Sports ball. Yeah. yeah what sports did you do? Everything. In middle school, uh, played basketball, ran track, played volleyball. Um, just didn't do soccer. So year-round sports there. I played baseball. You have the, you have the body for soccer. Yeah. I had, well, <laughs> I had like... Everything about soccer was like, I don't want to run that much, which is crazy. Because then I, I ran running. track, but I was a sprinter. Uh, so it was like a little less on the conditioning. We were a little bit more. Soccer, they run for yeah, ever. Yeah, forever. I, um, do you go to Orlando City Yeah, games? of course. Yeah, yeah. I love but that. But it's just so. It's the funnest game, the funnest sport to watch. I feel like I always tell my friends, like the best sporting event to attend mm-hmm. is a soccer game or a soccer match. I said, but it just wasn't my sport. Like, I just couldn't get around it. Sure. Um, we did baseball. When I moved from Eatonville to East Orlando, the first day of school, again, I'm this kid who's kind of quiet at that time in social spaces, kind of reserved. First day I get there, we, you have PE today. I'm like, all right, great. And like, it's track time. And I'm like, all right, fine. And like, I remember feeling like these kids, the cool kids, you know, who weren't being nice to me when I introduced myself in class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to PE and they were doing like a, a sprint, like a relay. I was like, can I be on y'all's team? I'm trying to make friends here. Sure. Like, can I be on your team? They told me no. And I was like, all right, all fine. Right. Like, I'm the new kid. And they said no, I get it. So someone else picked me on our team. But I remember thinking to myself, I know I can run. I'm going to smoke these guys. I'm going to smoke them okay. in front of the whole fifth grade class. Right. I'm like, I'm going for it. And I did. And uh-huh. so then the coach came and he's like, you're on our, you're on our you know, track team. So that was what I loved the most. I mean, I played baseball and basketball. Volleyball was my dad's sport and something I really liked as well. Probably the one I was the best at, but the one that was volleyball. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't cool to be volleyball guy, right? So yeah, on the totem pole or the hierarchy of sports, (laughs) men's volleyball is not that high. So no, basketball is usually where it's at. Yeah, especially in middle school because everyone wants to be in basketball. And I had been, I've been this height since fifth grade, so I was huge back then. I was a giant. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm five eight. I'm gonna be like six foot probably. <laughs> you know, you I'm were not. Five, eight in I fifth was grade? five eight in fifth grade. It was wild. 
I've oh been God. I've been this height since we moved to East Orlando. Whoa. I was the center of our basketball team because I was so much bigger than all the other kids. Uh-huh. And I just never grew again. This is where I stepped. I stopped right here. Um, right. But my eighth grade year, our team won county, which is like the, you know, the big track meet with all the schools. Okay. And so we won that. And a guy came up to us afterwards and was like, are you guys going to run in, in high school? I was like, well, yeah, sure. Then we want to put you guys on like a junior Olympic team, like an AU travel track team. So, okay. So I did that. And we competed against, you know, people all over the country and, and traveled all over the state running. And when I got to uh, high school, one of the kids who also happened to be on like the junior Olympic team, he uh, approached me on campus. He's like, why aren't you playing football? I'm like, my mom's not going to let me play football. Like, she's not going to. Your mom? Yeah. I was like, yeah. my mom's not going to let me play football. Well, so dangerous. we had a cousin who went and played college football. And so I was like. I don't know why he's allowed and we're not allowed, but she was like, you're not playing football. So I told the guy, like, you know, some lie. And then, oh, yeah, I'm just not into it or something like that. I said, you should come to tryouts. And so I did just to save face. And I get to football and I don't know anything about football. I've played in my neighborhood. I've played on the street. I've played pickup sports you know all my life i was in the boys and girls club so it's like that's all, all right. you do yeah um so i've played football but i never organized and never put pads on never anything and i remember they told me uh i said hey like what what position do you play to coach and i said i don't know and they're like all right well, we're gonna put you at cornerback and i was like i can't throw the ball and like no i didn't say quarterback i said corner i didn't know there was a difference so i'm like Oh, I don't know. So that's my first day. And the coach is like, get your butt to the back of the line and just don't hurt yourself. Okay. I'm like, crap. I'm like, I'm out here. I'm embarrassing myself. I'm not going to be good at this. But then they had to do conditioning and sprints at the end of practice. Mm -hmm. And so when they saw me run, they're like, okay. Okay. Like, we'll teach you. And that became, while in high school, I did also do, you know, wrestling and weightlifting and different things. So many sports so many how did your mom let you play football i think she realized i wasn't going to be deterred from it and two i was good at it and i think for her that was like oh crap like the kick and play you know because my soft by the time i got to my sophomore i went to varsity you know as a freshman when i get to my sophomore year you know i'm thinking I was on varsity as a freshman. I'm definitely on varsity now, right? Right. And because of my uh, street pharmacy that I was running ah. and the things that I was getting in trouble for off the field, my coach is like, no, you're going to play JV. And it was Ooh. like the shots in my yes. heart. Yes. Like, you can't put me on JV. Like, Humbling. Like, you're not going to actually put me on JV. And they did. But on my sophomore year is when, like, letters started kind of starting getting recruited. And I think my mom saw that and was like, dang it. Like... <laughs> He's going to go to college. They're going to pay for college for this because nobody in my family had gone to college. And so I played. I played for four years and was fortunate enough to play well. And Played college ball? No, I played all of high school. All and then when I came school. to sign, uh-huh. I did get recruited and I was verbally committed and was going to go off and do the college football thing. I was not a great student, not because I didn't enjoy school, mm-hmm. but because... I am like, what's the minimum you need me to do? And I just shot for that. 
oh, well, 2.0 to graduate. Done. Like, well, if you have a 2.0 and even with your athletic prowess, like you still got to score this on the SAT. I'm like, what's the score? 1,200. Fine, I'll score it. Like it was always just enough to okay. get what I needed. Okay. I had zero ambition to be a professional football player to come and make a career out of this. I just knew there was zero ways I was going to college with a 2.0 um, where it would be free and they were offering free school. And my senior year, when it came to signing day, because you have to commit and sign paperwork and all that stuff, I didn't. And because not to be super preachy, but when I was 18, when I was a senior in high school, I did all those sports. Uh huh. I was in theater. I loved reading. I love art. I love doing different things like that. My drama teacher um, wouldn't let me quit drama. She pulled me in. I was part of the thespian society and mm-hmm. did the whole thing. And uh, I always felt like that show Glee like, was my life where there was like he's the football person and he's in like this arts club. Okay. I was a captain of our football team and I was, you know, one of the co-leads as a villain in, the, in one of our plays. Like it was just like, mm. it's what I did and I didn't mm-hmm. have to choose. It just felt like if you want to do it, do it. Right. But my senior year was uh, also when like my life changed. I had a, a weird unforeseen encounter um, with Jesus and that kind of changed the trajectory of my life Mm. um so my senior year my family does not go to church um not because they don't have a faith it's just not something we grew up with family was church and we were big on family so it's like well all everyone else was busting into church my dad's like let's go on a drive where are we going shut up get in the car like Uh this is church and we're gonna be together and my senior year through dance of all things um i got introduced to this group of people who were you know dancing doing some of the art stuff that i loved and happened to be christian and they invited me to practice and it was a bible study and like all these things i felt set up and tricked and all these other things but what i knew Mm. was that i got clean i stopped smoking i stopped selling i stopped popping pills i stopped doing a bunch of stuff and i was like is this because I'm a mm. Christian? <laughs> like, like, is it what's in the sauce? Like, what did you guys do to me? Like, I don't like it just on my own just decided this is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I did not I did not grow up with any grid for church and for Jesus. Knew zero Bible verses, but what I knew is what I felt about feeling like the story I had been given about someone loving me unconditionally was just like no, yeah, that's cool for you guys because you guys go to church, but I do X, Y, Z things. And mm-hmm. no, yeah, but you're still. I'm like, no, you're not hearing. And then when that got into my heart, I was done. I was mm-hmm. just like, all right, I want, well, all right, Jesus. So I'm going into signing day. Like, okay, Jesus, where am I going to go to college? Because nothing's changing, right? And I just felt in my heart more and more as it came, I would ask coaches that sit in our living room and tell us about their program and get ready to take a campus visit and i'd ask them like hey coach where do you go to church and they're like yeah we have chapel and i'm like no i'm like where do you go to church like who's your pastor mm-hmm. and i'd be like oh god like what am i doing why am i doing this and so i decided not to play college football because i told my parents i wanted to do ministry i'm sure that went over oh. really well i'm sure that was a oh yeah that was a yeah, bomb that was bomb. that was a bomb i right. mean they didn't know 
to them it was just like and i remember the conversation but i was like you've beat your body and done so much to get here and now you're not gonna go because you want to go do ministry mm-hmm. that's not a job bro like what do you mean like that's not school they're gonna pay they're like hey maybe you don't realize they're paying for your college tuition yeah they're gonna pay all you have to do is four more Let's years go. of playing ball right stay in shape keep your head in the books don't get into trouble get a college degree and x y that was that was the dream and for me it was just like at 18 i was 18 years old i was like i know what i want i know who i am mm-hmm. and i just whatever it looks like i just want to make this jesus available to anybody i'm around and i had no idea what the heck that meant mm-hmm. <laughs> but they took years for them to really like understand that and that added to my mom and i's tension that added to like my dad's confusion maybe like dude what do you mean like Hmm. i got all these newspaper articles with your name and it clipped out saved like we were telling all our friends about where you were going people would he'd go to work and people would be asking hey where's y'all gonna go to school like what's he gonna do yeah and oh he doesn't he's not gonna play oh is he hurt no he's a christian It's worse. He's a Christian. And I'm like, crap. And I just knew. I'm, I always, I, I talk about it in retrospect. And I always tell people like, that 18-year-old version of my, I don't, that 18-year-old version of myself, I'm so thankful that that kid had the moxie and insert other choice words to be able to tell his parents, I know what I want to do with my life. Hmm. And I don't care if it doesn't look like what you wanted for my life. This is all I want to. It's not the story. Yeah. It's like, this is what I want to do. And this, I have to do this for myself. Mm -hmm. And while then they were probably like, you're crazy. You're brainwashed. These people are ruining your life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in, in recent years, even, and I can hear them change the tone and even the way they talk about it. Like, they look at the life we've built and the life that we're living now. My parents just say, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you've built, what you've become, mm-hmm. um, the dad that you are, the husband that you are, that you would prioritize that over anything else. Right. You kind of stuck it to us there. Yeah. And we appreciate that. And, you know, I think that's part of our story was like, I could have, you know, in retrospect for years, I was like, you know, I could have been a Christian and played football. That's a thing. Like, right. <laughs> you know, like, I could have went and got free school and still been yeah. a Christian. Like, you know, but I think where I was coming from, from like a life and a stronghold of addiction, I was afraid of myself away from the mm. environment mm-hmm. that felt safe to me. Mm. Like, I know who I am. I, I I know I'm pretty messy and it wouldn't take much to upset. But even mood. like taking yourself out of the people and the surroundings that you were in, like yeah. taking yourself out of that. Yeah. I felt that, like, that felt like it felt dangerous at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like I, I'm, I, I know. Did your parents know what was like the level of things that you were addicted to? I think so. It's hard not to. Okay. Um, it got to a point, especially like in my junior year, because it was hard because I did all these other extracurricular things and I was thriving in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could remember there being like in my junior year, this idea, like, I think they found like a bunch of stuff that me and my brothers were doing, me and my older brother were doing. Um, 
And it was like this moment. I think they just didn't know what to do with it. It was kind of like, you can't, you can't do that. But then how am I going to, you know, it was, it was like a weird, now as a parent, I kind of feel for them because I'm like. Did you ever, did they ever address it with you? Or? Oh yeah. I mean, we, we, but they handled it in the best way that they knew how to handle it, which was reaming us and, you know, trying to, well, you're not going to do this and that. And you realize like, you just get creative and you find ways to do it anyway. Right. You know, you could throw away everything you have that you found. I will still find more. Right. And you can ground me and lock me into the room. I'm going to sneak out when you fall asleep. Like, it's like, there's always going to, yeah, I know. Yeah. I got two kids now. So I'm like, oh God. <laughs> I'm like, there's, well, there's my wife, you know, like she, that's not her history or her story. But, you know, I, I, I think they felt like in a way, at least with me, particularly with football, I was like, if you could just stay straight and narrow, figure this thing out you'll have a future. If you get stuck on that stuff, you're going to ruin your future. Mm -hmm. And so it was always more that conversation more so than it was, let's stop that completely. Let's, uh, I mean, I'm not saying they were happy about it or that they were like trying to encourage me to keep going down that route. I think it was just more like, hey, you're, I, to this day, which is super funny because I've done it to like my nieces and nephews or other people. But every time I'd walk out the door, my dad would tell me one thing, but hey, and I turn around, and he just looked me in the eye, like, be smart. And I'm like, yeah, Bob's like, I'm good. Like, he's like, and every time I'd walk out the house, I'd be like, hey, be smart. I'm like, I am going out and being anything but smart right now. Like, I'm going to abuse and use, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z things, and live this life that did not match the pursuit of what I was going for. Mm -hmm. But. I don't know how I got sucked in and stuck, but that's right. where I was. And so when my senior year came around for that, for this Jesus moment to stop that, I was clinging on to Jesus. Like my life depended on it because I mm. really think it did. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. Yeah, no, Jesus. I'm like ministry? I'm like, yeah. What does that mean? You gonna be a pastor? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just know I'm going to do ministry. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And the church that I started to go to wasn't even a church back then. They were just like a group of people who were meeting and who were about to plant a church. And mm. so when they said, hey, we're going to start a church, I was like, okay, I'm going. Like the first church I've ever been to, first church I've ever like been a part of or a community that I grew up in. And I just kind of jumped in and did whatever they needed me to do. I was mm. cleaning toilets or lifting boxes or moving chairs and holding parking signs and doing whatever so as you may know or may not know at all cocktails are kind of my thing at the end of a long day or any day really crafting a drink whether it's simple or more complex i really look forward to a delicious cocktail plus it makes all conversations better tito's handmade vodka is always a go-to for me it's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow mule to an elderflower martini to a white Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. 
So speaking of kind of like as we grow into our adult years mm-hmm. and the things that we do have a choice over sure. in, in the way that life comes at us and all the things that manifest themselves, mm-hmm. um, would what would you say is like one of your like proudest moments of like your adult adulthood? Adulthood? For the sake of adulthood, I'll go post Jesus college football decision. Cause that was a very proud moment for me, mm-hmm. but I was a high school senior. Um, in my adult life, just there's been a lot that I've been proud of. I don't know how that sounds, but I'm like, I'm proud of me, you know. Sure, but I think to stay somewhere recent and get away from kids or family when my wife and I decided to plant the church that we planted, I felt very proud. I felt very much like the 18 year old version of myself, I owed it to that kid to do what we just did to decide to say, Hey, we're going to plant something on our own. Mm -hmm. We're going to go out on our own and literally choose the harder road and say, that's harder. That takes longer. That'll require more of you. And for us to say, yeah, that I was really proud of that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was like this moment where, I felt like the 18 year old version of Shav was just like, thank you mm. like, for doing that for us. Cause it cost him something. And not that what I was doing for the next 10 years of my life wasn't honoring of that decision, but I was still doing somebody else's dream, living somebody else's dream. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until so we decided- Stepping into your own vision. Your when own we dream. stepped into our own thing, it felt right. like, Thank you. Like, and I, I'm really proud of that. Like, mm-hmm. to this day, and it's and it's been hard, mm-hmm. and I still feel on most nights where I'm like, oh God, what the heck are we doing? There's still a part of me that just kind of reminds myself, like, oh, I wouldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I, just, I don't want to do anything else. Right. So even though it is kind of cost you something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. In that yeah. Way. Um, on the flip side of that, has mm-hmm. there ever been a season of life, um, kind of like in adulthood or in like a moment or just kind of a time that was more of like a challenge for you or like a harder season or something that was kind of traumatic that happened and kind of like, how did you, how did you move through that? Um, yeah, I think during or through my twenties, there was like a, I'm trying to narrow it to a specific moment. I mean, my wife and I, before we were married, we were long distance for like three years. That was hard, mm. but it didn't feel traumatic. Um, it was just hard as hell, <laughs> but we did that. But I think somewhere after that, oh, I got it. My, right before we moved into the house that we live now, um, my wife has had a couple different bouts with um, throat cancer and different mm-hmm. uh, like cancerous nodules. Um, if you hear her voice or speaking voice, it's beautiful and sexy, but it's it's deep and it's raspy. Um, and it almost sounds like she's lost her voice and she's trying to push through it. Uh, but that's how she sounds all the time. Okay. That's how she sounded her whole life. And we walk into rooms and she speaks and people are like, where did that sound come from? Um, and I love it. And uh, she sings and she had had a couple different times that doctors have told her, like, you can't sing. Mm-hmm. You have to stop. You're damaging your voice. 
um, you have you know cancerous nodules um, you're gonna lose all of that and so we had been married less than a year we had decided we either travel and do all these things or we'd make some wild decision like be 24 and buy a house and we went and buy a house and uh, we had to move out of our apartment to go into a house and the sale on the house fell through at the last moment it didn't happen and when we went back to the apartment complex we're like hey can we actually go month to month for something so we figured this out like, we already pre-leased your apartment mm. and so as and hopefully this doesn't sound terribly toxic but as a dude i was like oh we've been married 10 months and I'm having to like move back into what her parents' house or something. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, what the crap? <laughs> like, sure. I'm like this hurts. Like this sure. is not what I want to do. And oh. I love her parents, but I don't want to live with your parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I, mean? I don't it's want you to live with my couple. parents. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And so we had gotten really frustrated with trying to buy a house and make it happen in a timeline. Didn't happen. And then we realized that we're going to have to move in with your parents ego heart everything is shot to crap my confidence is gone i'm like oh god here we go and move into our parents house she was a teacher at the time her voice had been getting really really worn out like Mm. midday so i said we need to get you checked and figure out what's going on they went in hey you have cancerous nodules it's pretty bad we have a couple options we can either go in and remove them and it would change your speaking voice. It would mean you cannot sing again. It would mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, or I would just be interested in trying something, which is we're going to put you on, you know, about 45 days vocal rest. I'm like, well, what does it look like? Like zero talking. Right. Complete silence. So here I am living in my in-law's house, in a room in my in-law's house with my wife who cannot speak and is not allowed to talk to me trying to buy a house and being rejected every other day Mm -hmm. you know or being outbid because at that time it was very much a seller's market like it's becoming again right and we uh everyone who was putting a house up for sale was not only getting it but getting it in cash and here we are as a young couple with our fha loan like help (laughs) please and not being able to talk about it and so i think that time sure of silence was traumatic and hard to get through but i always tell people like there was something sacred i go as far as saying holy but definitely beautiful about my wife and i's connection when we when she couldn't talk to me you know or i always tell people like at that time, worship became something different for me when a girl who couldn't use her voice would lead us in worship. Because I just watch her live her commitment and her... Was she still teaching at this time? Mm-mm. Okay. She was out of school. She right. was put on, uh, on leave. Medical leave. Yeah. Yeah. So it was different to have someone who couldn't use their voice lead you and like allow her despair and disappointment and frustration be the same thing that became the catalyst or even the invitation to being cared for 
Mm. It's like here I thought I had to take my disappointment and my frustration. I had like those things are reserved for outside of church. Like, mm. oh, those are ugly, shadowy feelings. Don't bring that. Like here is where everything gets redeemed. Like you want so bad that redemptive narrative. And it's like, no, this sucks. And it hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. And let's just sit in it. And let's let our grief teach us something. Or if it teaches us absolutely nothing, at least. And what we came to know is that it was in our willingness to give ourselves over to grief, that comfort mm-hmm. became more real. That his care for us, not, not, I don't want to be preachy, but that became very real to us. And hard is all get out. And I could remember even in that season, we put a bid on the house that we live in now. And I was like, is this it? Like, is this the one? And and then being the house that we lived in. And even then, she, you know, we'd be writing to each other, texting, you know, she'd be texting to me or she'd have a notebook with her and always writing me notes so I could see what she was thinking. And uh, yeah, getting through that and then getting rechecked at the end, there was a day somewhere in the process, like towards the end of that silent season, she, uh, we walked into church one day and I just watched her walk walk up to stage grab a mic and she started to sing and i was just like whoa like, okay and for people who knew our story and for me i of course as i was gutted i was like ah, like just messy and she just walked up to me she's like i'm fine like we're gonna be i'm good and i was like well let's go get checked and we went and got checked and like, there's nothing there like there's absolutely nothing in there you're gonna have to train your voice to not have them come back um but it's been over 10 years and we've never had something like that happen again so right it is like a deep hard sad devastating thing but it also eventually became a triumphal moment for us too mm-hmm. so, uh. thank you for sharing that yeah. yeah yeah it's so interesting the ways that people can look at things that are obviously unexpected and un- not knowing what to do and in the pain of having to actually like sit with something in the moment is mm-hmm. it's really a hard lesson to mm-hmm. learn and to know and mm-hmm. how to sit in grief and you know i think that's something that the american culture is so divorced from oh, yeah. you know sadly mm-hmm. like as as you kind of mentioned and these are the the, the parts of life mm. you know like that are the beautiful the up and the down and the and the joy um isn't as joyful without times that are sorrowful yeah. and that are unimaginable and in, in the ways that we can you know like we can do hard things and being able to like walk through that and learn through that mm. and be able to like survive it versus just numb ourselves to like everything that is even the remotely painful or Mm. um, uncertain um so i'd love to move on to one of my favorite topics which Mm. is the enneagram and we talked about this a little bit but uh i discovered the enneagram quite a few years ago Mm. but i just have seen it be such a powerful tool. I mean, it's been around for obviously like hundreds and hundreds of years, but in its kind of popular culture that it is right now, which is, I think, hopefully a good thing in yeah. ways that it gives people the language, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't know any of this sure. growing up. I didn't know it until I was 
you know, well into my adult years, but mm. uh, it has been uh, a beautiful tool and yeah. a beautiful language to be able to know myself better, to mm-hmm. know where other people are coming from, to give grace to myself, to give grace, you know, to other people yeah. in that way. So how did you kind of like intersect or come to know about uh, the Enneagram? Yeah, I would say it's probably been five or six years. Um, I had a friend who was pretty versed in it. Um, probably during the transition of us, like, what do we do now? And we're, what's next for us? And, you know, I think he randomly just like, oh, you, have you ever, like, worked with the Enneagram at all? And I was like, nope, don't know what that is. Right. And, like, no clue. <laughs> and most people. Sounds like, like a cult or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you see, like, all the lines and triangles and stuff. I'm like, why does that number go to that? Those numbers aren't even next to each other. Like, what does that mean? Like, how does two go to eight and eight go to two? And, mm-hmm. oh, and that makes sense. But then that goes to five. Like, you know, like, I didn't understand the arrows. And right. I'm... I'm not a cynical person, so I'm not, I don't hear typing or personality types and go, ew, I don't want to do that. Don't put me in a box. I'm like, sure. If it's language, if it's helped me, if it's freeing for me or freeing for someone else, like, I'll give it a shot. Like, I want to know the more, mm-hmm. like, cool. And so he, uh, he walked me to, uh, or got me into like the road back to you by Ian Cron mm-hmm. and, um, put me onto those sites and like that work and then eventually some Beatrice Chestnut stuff and I was like all right let's figure this out like let's go and then you know I told him hey I'm a two and he's like but you're a dude I'm like like, what does that mean I'm like hold on a second give me a second I'm like going back like it doesn't say anything here about gender Uh you know being you know specific to a number and he's just like no it's not that you can't be a male too Mm -hmm. it's just it's not normal not usual sure um it's not what we're used to and i'm like well why is that and then of course like in hearing you know some of your episodes hearing that you were a female eight it was mm-hmm. like for the same reason that female eight and male twos is like the the most Archetype. common gender stories and scripts were given don't really leave room for you know an eight and your femininity like what does that mean or being a two and being a male mm-hmm. and you know what does that look like so yeah i've i five or six years with it um learning my two-ness and then going holy crap like oh so much makes that sense. makes sense you know i'm like oh i get that and it wasn't hard for me to come to grips with being a two it was harder figuring out what that meant for me in relationships like mm-hmm. you know because i like in the back of my head I can remember my mother telling me like, well, you charm everyone you're around. I'm like, is that because I'm a two? You know, like, like that's one of the big things. And as I started to realize, you know, this people pleasing, I'm like, I don't think I'm a people pleaser. Like I didn't please you guys. Like, <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, Ryan, our mutual friend, we've gone to a couple of his workshops. He's taught one for us in our community. Um, I think one day he told me like one of his people he listens to said something to the degree of uh, it doesn't work but it's helpful and the Enneagram doesn't work but it's helpful and I'm, what do you mean doesn't work it's not something that you apply and just go ham hey, and eight and here's my road to life you're still human you're complex you have all these other factors mm-hmm. going on in your life it's not something you just plug in and say that worked for me mm-hmm. it's helpful 
because it can help you find language for language mm. uh, or it can help you find language for why that motivation is there maybe some of the subversive stuff that we ignore so it's helpful but you still have to do the work to become whole to be you know fully present in life like there's no whether that's the enneagram myers briggs disc whatever you insert mm-hmm. none of those things complete you which is always why is the first thing the other side of the world will say is I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want to be put in a box. And I feel mostly like mostly fours. Yeah, mostly fours, yeah. sixes. You know, like they either love it entirely or like can't trust that. Don't want anything to do right. with it. And I think um, for those people, I'm just kind of like I, at least the language I've adopted. When I have people who don't want to do it, I make my whole family do it. Mm-hmm. Um, people in our community uh, were like, "Let's introduce you to this thing." If I've done counseling with anybody, we use Enneagram. Um, and one of the things that we kind of say is like, hey, for me, the Enneagram does not put you in a box. The Enneagram shows you that you are already in the box and it helps you get out of the box. Hmm. Um, why wouldn't you take the hand that's trying hmm. to get you out of the box? So I have thrown my whole head at it and hard at it because I've seen fruit where it's been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I think people in our community have seen the value in it as well. And because of that value, I'm like, oh, yeah, like this makes this makes and it keeps there's more layers. Like the more I work with it, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, now there's, you know, stances <laughs> and this motivation, and, you know, and all those things that I'm uh-huh. like, OK. And that's why even more so I'm like, oh, my complexity, there's room for it in this versus it being limited to no no remember you're too so it's not like that it's like no I'm not, i don't feel limited by the enneagram in any way mm. so as pop culture as it feels right now as party trick as it feels right now mm-hmm. yeah of course some of that is like i wish we wouldn't do that so that people wouldn't be so turned off to it mm-hmm. um i also wish some of these meme accounts would make twos you know like not snow white or like <laughs> like you know it's like oh here's the helper you're a pushover and everyone walks all over you and you're you know the proverbial Susie homemaker and i'm like okay if, if that's true fine but what about the other parts of twos that like gets totally dismissed mm-hmm. or ignored or plowed over i guess so. i have a brother my youngest brother who I think is, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> who am I to to type somebody mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. in in totality? Yeah. But I think he, he says he's a two. I think mm-hmm. he might be a nine. Mm-hmm. Twos and nines are mm-hmm. also pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is a two as a as a as a male, and so seeing all the beautiful thing that he adds to the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. How do you think like being a two, like what, what do you feel like that that re- like revealed and like in, in your weight, like in your wings or in your strengths and weaknesses? Like, how do you feel like that gave you more language for yourself? Yeah. I think that basic motivation of wanting to be loved or feel worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was, themes or seasons in my life where I realized like when I mentioned about my mom's like hey I don't need you to tell me what I need to do like I I really just want to feel loved by you Mm -hmm. like that would have been and has been everything I wanted from you and uh so being okay with that um you know twos can be 
and I saw this in myself, it's not necessarily like um, self-forgetting, like a nine, it would be self-denying. Like I would notice like, oh, I have this feeling, I have this desire, but I don't want to bother you about it. You know, like my wife always laughs like, I order a chicken sandwich at a restaurant. They bring me a hamburger. I'll eat the hamburger. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. 100% be, not going to happen. Yeah. And they're like, man, how is that burger? And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was good. It's not what I ordered. But man, I guess you knew something I didn't. Maybe I didn't need the chicken tonight. I don't know. So like, I would notice like I would have being able to identify my needs mm. and then being able to vocalize them. Because again, the two doesn't have a problem identifying the need. You know what you want. You just don't know how to tell others. Tell other people not only what you want, but then having boundaries to tell people no mm-hmm. that you're not going to do the thing that maybe even they expected of you mm. or that they've asked of you. And that's been one of the more freeing things for me in my life is something that I remind myself all the time. Like, hey, Shav, your no is just as powerful as your yes. Like, you can say no to mm-hmm. things. You don't have to be everything for everyone. You don't need to stretch yourself thin. You're allowed to say I'm not available today. Because people might love you even if you can't meet all their needs. Yeah, which was kind of scary and revolutionary. They're just like, no, they will not. (laughs) Like, you know, like, what if they don't? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, I think that was probably the most revelatory thing for me was just that, oh, so I'm I'm worthy of love in spite of what I do. And that there's actually people who want to love me, who do love me that has nothing to do with what I provide for them, Mm. but just because of who I am. Um, I would say where that misunderstanding that female eights and male twos, where that kind of was evident in my life was um, I found I've, I've been and in my adult life been much better, but I would regularly not have a lot of close friends, period. I definitely wouldn't have other male friends who would reciprocate my capacity for the feely stuff, <laughs> you know, like, they would be like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you didn't stop or, you know, like, man, but how, how does that make you feel? And like, are you upset or, you know, that high capacity for empathy and compassion as a male, it's like what other guys, because of the toxicity or surrounding your masculinity, they're very like, oh why or like they don't understand that or they want to repress those feelings Mm -hmm. where i can remember my entire life even as a middle school high school kid be like if someone's hurting like we should kind of just like pause and like sit with it like and being okay with that um and you know when we were growing up that was just like that felt like the most the best gift i can give someone was to be like you don't have to be okay right now like don't don't get dolled up don't pretty yourself up don't clean up for me like let's just sit in the mess like and if we don't get to cleaning it tonight who cares let's clean it tomorrow you know do you want me and to clean someone it you know? stick with you <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah. i would notice it with like that doesn't translate in the locker room you know hey bro what do you need you know like hey are you okay like you know what's going on in your family like mm-hmm. what's going on in your heart you know um over do you feel year. that like through your high school years or through your sports years do you feel like that was something that you wanted to be, but it just didn't seem appropriate. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, or or just being rejected for it, mm-hmm. just because it was, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, I would, there was a day I could remember in school, like watching a movie and it was like the 
archetype of like popular kids and not popular kids. And I remember saying something in school like, like this feels so unrealistic. Like no high school is really like that. And one of the kids in the class was like, you're that guy. Like you're the popular kid, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I didn't see myself like that. I'm like, no, like, that's not who I am. Like I get along with everyone. And I don't put people down. And like, it bothered me so much. Cause I was like, I've tried to be open and available and create space for people my whole life. And because of either being good at something or whatever else, it always felt kind of like there was these assumptions about me and the two and those assumptions about me, even though it's just, it's not real. No one said that, Mm -hmm. but because I think that's an expectation you placed on me and I'm not satisfying it Mm -hmm. inwardly is driving me nuts that I somehow either disappointed the view you have of me or I'm not attaining to you know, the level of whatever you're holding me to. I'm like, like no one told you that. Yeah. Expectations (laughs) from other people. Oh. Yeah. Crushing. 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 And even the unspoken ones. Oh, yeah. And that's been, you know, in my adult life and, and especially over the last like three or four years, I can really say like the work is ongoing and it continues but there's just been so much more space to like take a deep breath and just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> like, you know, and I think some of it was adding in the component of what I do for a living and as a calling, like people are constantly pulling on you and with respectfully, <laughs> I would say that most many pastors would struggle in a place of ego sometimes where it's like, hey, pastor, you know, you don't need to be that for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like it actually, you'd probably. It's not even real. It's not real. Yeah. It's just not re- You're human, you're dude. Human. Says you're human. Like you can't. Right. You just can't. So you're actually helping them, the community, the people and yourself to just drop that stigma that you can be that for them. Mm-hmm. You really can't. Which has been why we've been very vocal about like, come to church and yeah, we'll pass to you. Go to therapy, please. Right. <laughs> like, please go see someone, go to counseling, go to therapy, do what you have to do to, I can't be that. Uh, and I won't. Like mm-hmm. at this stage in my life, like I'm not going to wear that Mm-mm. pressure or expectation because it, the more I do that and the more of that I try to be, I could be missing out on being what my kid needs me to be mm-hmm. or what my wife needs me to be. And sometimes when all of that is gone, what I need myself to be, which is to be whole and functional and present. And I'm, I would tell my wife all the time, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be one of those statistics of pastors who burn themselves out trying to be some savior. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not that guy, you know, I'm not going to let myself be that guy. How have you seen the Enneagram showing up in like your relationships? Oh, I I wing three. So I I always laugh because I'm like, all right, the three wings showed up on the field or like in competition, Mm -hmm. which is wild because I'm not a competitive person with other people. I'm wildly competitive internally. Like I want to be better. You just want to beat your own record? I want to be, yes. Like I want to do better than I did last time. Or at least know that when I go at the end of the day, whether it's a game, whether it's a lift, whatever, whatever it was, I want to know I had nothing left. So like mm-hmm. that was everything I had. Um, but I'm not externally motivated by competing with others. 
like it actually kind of grosses me out. Like I'd be like, if I feel myself in that mode, I'll just shut it down. I'm just, I'm just I won't, I'm done. <laughs> which drove my coaches nuts, which drove, and drives my wife nuts to this day. Cause she's just like, just take up the space. If you're the best one in the room at it, just be the best one in the room at it. Like, it's not like you're, I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, I don't, no, no, I don't want to make people uncomfortable or blah, blah, blah. So my three wing shows in that way, my wife were flip flops. She's a three. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, her wings are pretty balanced. Like she kind of goes two, four pretty easily. Um, I think a couple different times that she's tested, she's been three, two. And most recently she shows three, four, like almost every time. Um, which makes sense. You know, it's crazy. I mean, that's why we love this thing. You know, that's yeah. why it works for us. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, I see that. No one is watching me wing one. It just doesn't happen. Right. Like, it rarely ever happens. I'm just like, I don't see it. But right. maybe, you know, Ryan has a theory about <laughs> those other wings showing up later in life. Um, but I've seen it where we do, like, where her as a three who can be very driven, very, like, just gobble you up we're moving we're going she's uh, like i may have mentioned to you earlier graduated high school early got her bachelor's degree in two and a half years got her master's degree before she was 20 like everything's just go 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 and uh you know it's helped us be able to kind of talk about like Mm -hmm. hey like those blind spots? Yeah, those spots I'm not sure you're seeing. Like, yeah. you know, one of the things that, uh, oh man, recently we just started, she's been applying this for me. Um, like, if we're discussing something or I'm sharing something with her, she'll say, do you, uh, do you want advice or do you want comfort? And she'll just ask. Like, sure. Just to know, like, mm-hmm. hey, are you looking for advice or are you looking for comfort? And I have to be okay with being like, Oh, why do you have to ask? You should know. No, she doesn't because she's human and she's mm-hmm. not going to know every single time, you know. She and She doesn't live in your head. She doesn't live in my head yeah. of what happened. Like, mm-hmm. help her out, bro. Like, I need comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold me. Like, just let me feel this feeling. And she'll listen and she will feel the feeling. And normally, you know, at some point it's like, advice now? You know, um, <laughs> or on the days where I'm like, hey, I need advice. Like, just lay it on like i'm good just go for it right um that's helped for her where it's helped is that i'm aware of how sometimes under stress um she'll kind of move towards the nine i think she moves to nine in stress pretty sure it's nine um i can notice where sometimes like that drive starts to peel off she kind of just like taps out and i'm like oh i'm like hey like what happened like the the wind in your sails kind of came off like what's going on what's making you uncomfortable about that Mm -hmm. or what happened you know who do i need to beat up those type of things like (laughs) why why are we checking out because that's not like you right um so those things have been super helpful for us she'll know because my tunis under stress moves towards eight she knows Mm -hmm. it she knows when I it's just like, ask, oh, how that that's thinking that, that <laughs> damn enneagram. I tell y'all, whenever my wife and I are actually in it, and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm mindful of where I'm like, ah, she's gonna hit me with, 
oh yeah like that looks very eight-ish to me and i'm like first of all don't limit my eights second like you know like there's this whole thing but it does come out and i need to have like for me right now like daily detoxes where i'm just like let me get my head and my gut my heart clear Mm -hmm. because if not when that gets poked it's gonna look very like snappy or you know she says she's like i you're not a rage monster she's like you're just shorter where you never you always lean lean with like she gets frustrated she's like you've never known hurry in your life like you just Mm. when i get there i get there whatever happens happens and you want to stop for everyone on the road and you go to coffee shops and you have one airpod out in case somebody wants to talk like you are always just in it in the moment and when you're not and you're snappy she's like i can just tell like something else you didn't process something else and I'm like, mm. okay fine you know like, like fine let's go there yeah. and you know in in that health or that growth space moving towards a four for me as a two is I'm doing this because I want to do this, not because other people need it or Mm. because it helps someone else, which is what I love about moving towards four is that for me, it's like, hey, is Shav doing okay? Is he reading something for himself? Not for a message, not for content creating, not for anything. Is he reading for himself? Mm -hmm. Is he writing? Is he playing golf? Is he like because I'm doing something that I want to do for me. Mm-hmm. And that's almost always a tell like, oh, he's doing okay. You know, some kind of creative project. Some, you know, I'm weirdly really into puzzles. Like if I'm doing a puzzle, like I'm normally good. Right. Um, which is also one of those ongoing jokes. Where it's like, baby, did you do your puzzles? Like <laughs> go grab a puzzle and lead into that. Um, so yeah, all these things that have bettered our marriage have come mm-hmm. from being able to have these understanding this language, yeah. language uh, you know understand one another and what's happening or how we view the world mm-hmm. and you know i remember reading once that a two and a three marriage like sometimes it could be they're the best political couple because it's like her three in this like it makes it a very social power mm-hmm. you know couple and driven and giving we're driven and giving and like at a deep level it was like deeply like altruistic like hey we're giving just we're creating because we've recognized it's better for us to give and it has nothing to do with us mm. which makes sense on what we're doing now and what we're building and everything else um so I, I love the enneagram for those type of things i've made my mom and dad take it you know i've made my brothers take it so we have those shared languages and uh i think having a home base to navigate through has been super helpful for us. Mm-hmm. Cause I always said like you ask any couple, any and anyone, and you ask them like, what's the most important thing in a relationship? Trust and communication. Okay, so what are we doing to work on communication? Because for the most part we understand what violates trust in most scenarios. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what a good community you you're like, I'm crushing communication. I'm 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 communicating. And he's like, yeah, but communication is two ways it's how you know how to speak and also what i receive and what i hear right and so we have to if we can find a bridge it kind of brings us together mm-hmm. man it's more helpful mm-hmm. and we've avoided a whole lot more yeah. headache from each other and 
you know, I've there's early on there was moments where I'm like, man, like you want comfort or advice? It's like you almost feel like I don't want neither from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want nothing from you. Like get out of here. You don't help me nothing. Right. And but man, like that's made all the difference because for years for her it was just like I was just trying to help. Like, I didn't want you to help. I just, just wanted want you to, to listen. I just wanted you to sit in it with me for a little while. Mm-hmm. And that was that's been one of those hard things as mm-hmm. a two is that I think people feel like we can't handle hard things. Like they have to be careful. Which is what you'll read on like every thing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, be careful. There are two, like they might take that. Cause we have a huge capacity for that. You have to believe that we can hold those things and all, mm. you know, sometimes sitting in that, and maybe I could see where that's abused or not necessarily some maturity does have to come into it to be able to hold those things. But man, you don't have to sugarcoat something for me. I don't know if that's just because of that three wing or if that's just life. Like right. in my head, I'm just like, no, 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 talk straight. Like it's, but it is also the communication that you had said before, of like knowing how to communicate mm-hmm. because people do receive things differently. Mm-hmm. Like, and like I'm an eight, so I want you to tell me directly. Sure. Yeah. And so for other people, that's not how they want to be communicated mm-hmm. with or that feels intimidating mm-hmm. or too much, you know? And so it's like, it is the, I think it is so honoring when we can humble ourselves for other people sure. and to yeah. say that it's exactly like that like mm-hmm. how like what do you need from me mm-hmm. right now or like knowing somebody else like if you take a too direct path they're going to get crushed right mm-hmm. but if you come in a softer pace or gentler mm-hmm. and other people they're not going to work like that yeah but then knowing that we're all built so differently mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. then saying i want to honor you <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the work of the eight, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I want to honor you and to say like, okay, I need to understand where you're coming from mm. so that I can meet you. And so it will be beneficial mm-hmm. if I really am honoring somebody that's like yeah. kind of understanding their level and being able to communicate mm-hmm. what they need. So what, yeah. what's been harder for you to ask for, for people to ask people to shoot straight with you or are you learning kind of how to, I don't want to say soften the blow, but you meeting people where they are. Yeah, I think definitely meeting people where they are. Okay. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. that's my work in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I have the patience and the capacity for it. And sometimes I just don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But it is that has been a huge eye opener of learning the Enneagram, I think, was like one learning that not everyone is built like me. Mm-hmm. That was like a huge mind job, whatever. I don't even know how, but it's like, oh, everyone doesn't have the same goals or they don't communicate or they don't receive love the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, having to put that mindset on and then understanding other people are coming from a very different experience and they experience things differently and, um, how they react is incredible can be very different. And where I would get angry at somebody, something or a situation, someone else comes out of in a, position of shame mm-hmm. and that does not register with me sure. at all yeah yeah and so understanding and we live there <laughs> and i live there i don't shame. understand that yeah, right yeah. and so having to like know that that is somebody else's truth and their reality and mm-hmm. saying 
okay. Yeah. So you don't see the world in the same way that I do. And, and then if I have enough capacity to be able to engage in the dialogue that would be most their language mm. is, is a hard, is a hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the learning thing. Other people like, you're like, why can't you just be this? Right. Uh, was, I see the world like this, but you see the world like this. Oh yeah. That was, uh, not to ramble, but that was the the newest, I guess, thing that has like really captivated me about the Enneagram recently is realizing that in my two-ness, I move towards eight under stress, mm-hmm. four in health or in growth, which means I either live entirely, my entire life is lived in heart and in gut. Mm-hmm. I never move towards that uh brain the brain side the head the mind which to me at times i'm like holy crap that's why because i'm like i just don't understand why they don't get it like and i'm all Mm heart-led where i got this gut feeling and sometimes like you're gonna have to slow down and think this through Mm -hmm. like actually process actually the gift of my life is being surrounded with a bunch of fives where it's just like, you know, fives and sixes. I'm like, help me be aware. Because if not, you know, and that was always my, my mom told me when I was like, I think I'm going to be a firefighter one day or I'm going to do this. And she's like, you you wouldn't make it a year. You wouldn't make it. A year. I'm like, what do you mean you wouldn't make it a year? I'm like, if you couldn't help someone, you would not bounce back. Right. Like, it would crush you. That idea. I'm like, no, it wouldn't. I'm like, yeah. Or if something happened or an accident or whatever, like. Every time you get in a plane, hey, before you help the person next to you, make sure that you have your Wearing oxygen. Your mask. And the, and people, my my closest friends would tell me like, Shav, your mask first, remember. And I'm like, like how? And this person's hurting, and I could do this. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, is it really going to cause me my own health mm-hmm. to help them first? Yes. So speaking of your own yes. health, yeah. the last uh, topic that we're going to touch on, which is my ultimate favorite, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. favorite is the topic of rest. Yes. And so how we kind of step back from the world and we we retreat Mm -hmm. um, for the capacity to renew and to restore and learn and grow, play, discover, not just like physical rest, but what does like practices of rest Mm -hmm. um, look like in your life? It's not, it hasn't looked good for a while, <laughs> like until like the last two or three years, where it's like, oh, I've been going after it for over a decade, like mm-hmm. with no real breaks, no rest, no no practices, no ritual or routine. Um, lately, I just like to think of it as rhythm, like no mm-hmm. no rhythm, and which uh, as a dancer is like what. <laughs> No way. Um, but I think recently it's kind of started to look like those those do nothing days. You know, um, I know some folks are real big on like a Sabbath day rest. Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing nothing today. And it's intentional. And that looked different at a season of my life with a four and a two year old right now. There is no such thing as do nothing days. Right. You know, there's when we do nothing. And if we happen to be doing nothing on the same day, those boys are wild yeah they're right they are parenting is 24 7 yeah yeah so i always feel like how do i check out how do i do this Mm -hmm. or that and we've gotten better over the years of just both being very mindful of like hey you need 
you need some time away or you need to you know take a break so it, it's hard because some people are like, well that's physical activity but i go golf that's a, yeah. yeah and so i'll golf and i'm so bad at it and i love that mm-hmm. i've been pretty good at sports in my life being this bad at a sport makes me so happy like and having to learn and figure it out and then i'm by myself i'll turn my phone off and mm-hmm. i'm just like this is me i'm outside and i get to just focus on what i'm doing or not do much focusing because it's not getting better even however hard i try to focus right. but golf has been good for me as a practice um i'm grateful for community and some friends who know like hey you need to you probably need to take a day to just like relax and be quiet. Um, the puzzle thing for me, it's such gets a, you out of your mind. It gets me all the way out. Like right. I'm my the hardest thing. I've always been a pretty bad sleeper. I don't sleep well or sleep much. Um, but recently, like that's helped me wind down, and so that's almost a daily practice for me. Is at the end of the night, the boys are asleep. Or watching TV, whatever it becomes, it's like, hey, I'm gonna actually just start working on this puzzle. And like a little old man, mm-hmm. I whip out my puzzle <laughs> and I can feel myself centering mm-hmm. you know, and really starting to get quiet. And I'm going, all right, I'm gonna go to bed. Because I used to wait around until I was sleepy, not when I was ready to go to bed. Right. And so I would just stay up all night and it'd be four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> my wife would be like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm not sleepy. She's like, go to bed. I'm like, then I'm going to sit there and have to wind down and the whole process starts all over it. And um, so the puzzles, golf. Um, have you ever seen The Color Purple? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, are you familiar with the song I'm Here? Uh, I'm not Maybe. sure. If you're not, it's okay. Okay. We're going to watch Cynthia Arvivo Ar- sing it. Okay. And uh, that, just the, lang- the, the, the lyrics, everything about it, like one of the things that kind of goes off in my head sometimes when I wake up in the morning is just that. It's motivated by that song, but I just tell myself, like, I'm here. And it feels like the dumbest thing in the world for me. I literally put my feet right on the floor, kind of sit there for a second, mm-hmm. and I just remind myself, mm-hmm. like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Meaning, taking everything that's going on, center for a sec. It might not feel like I have hours to sit around and wait or you know the day's gonna go fast the kids are already awake it's time to go but just to remind myself like hey i'm here sending yourself and like stay there and so the way i start my day sometimes has to be the way i end it and i'll tell myself like i'm here whatever the heck i went through today however hard it was whatever didn't get finished like i'm still here i made it through this day Mm -hmm. and i can tell myself that and it kind of helps me center back and kind of you know, get back low gear and mm-hmm. kind of like smooth in a little bit. So, yeah, it's been those. I'm next week. I'm taking a couple of days. I'm taking like three days away, and I'm just kind of getting away from myself. And yeah. that's gonna be hard. <laughs> I'm bad at it. Right? I'm so bad at it. You know, I've already asked a couple of friends. I'm like, am I allowed to bring my golf clubs? Like, can I take? Or do I just got to sit there? Because that would be super hard too. Mm-hmm. But um, you know. When, take a couple of days of rest and just kind of catch back up and not wake up at six in the morning with kids and not push, push, push all day and mm-hmm. just kind of pull back and just relax. And then. Yeah. So around that, if you did have 24 hours mm-hmm. of, of a rest day mm-hmm. or a Sabbath day and uh, money's of no object, you mm-hmm. can be here, you could be anywhere just one day 
like your ideal dream day of rest? Like what would your, what would 24 hours look like for you? Okay, I'm waking up. I'm waking up whenever my body said it was time to wake up. No, mm -hmm. no alarm, no kid, mm -hmm. no kids. Um, so that would be first. I'm probably drinking coffee. I'm gonna play golf. I'm definitely gonna play golf. Okay. <laughs> Going out to golf. A morning golf session. Morning golf session. Okay. At the turn, I'm having a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Finishing my golf. All right. And then, I don't know if I'd go anywhere, honestly, because mm -hmm. I want. I don't. I'm not a beach person. I'm terrible at the beach because sand, heat. I have nowhere else to go. Water, salt. Like I still feel. I just feel gross. Like I'm. I don't want to be out here. Um, and then woods and mountains. I love to say I'm outdoorsy, but I'm probably more indoorsy. Okay. So <laughs> like I don't Fair know enough. if that would work. So I'd probably stay. Okay. After golf, I'd probably just want a a good old do nothing day. But mm. it would always end with like dinner and friends, like food and friends. Mm -hmm. Like my wife would always joke is I come I get fueled up by being around people. Mm -hmm. If I know for some people being around people, that's very depleting. I feel filled up. Mm -hmm. I just have to be mindful that when I'm around people to turn off host duties, like, duties uh -huh. and like take that notch off and just really be able to sit. Mm -hmm. So if day of rest would be like, no host duties. It could be my house, but y'all already live here. You already know where everything's at. Go mm -hmm. get it yourself type of thing. And let's just sit around and just be here. Yeah. So, so sounds like golf, drinks, and food. <laughs> Not sounds bad. Like a good day. Yeah, it sounds like a good day. I might yeah. do that next week for three days. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> send you a picture on the fourth day. I did it. You right. know? Because I think uh that would that would be probably the perfect day. Hmm. You know? That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Minus the golf part. But <laughs> um is there any um MO or mantra that you try to live your life by? Ugh. yeah people over power so always choose people over power and I'm trying to think of what out of being cheesy I think my email says like everybody always <laughs> which is such a two thing to say <laughs> did you read Bob Goff yes. yeah 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 we we golf the golfs are a big deal for us uh -huh. our, our kitchen table is all marked up because we Jeez. adopted their practice I don't know if you've ever heard but Maria signing the table, signing the table. yeah yeah so our, yeah. we have if you're over climb underneath come sign yeah. it hold that did space you together. read love lives here by Maria no. Goff. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where I read it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read hers, and then Bob's stuff. Been a big fan of for a long time. So probably people overpower would be the huge one, and oh, I don't want to go into this too deep. So random Peter Pan tattoo. Okay. Right. I'm not trying to say this in a weird way. I'm a large guy. And I have a Peter Pan tattoo. So it's talking point. Everyone was like, what's up with Peter Pan? Also, it's his silhouette. Uh-huh. So if you remember in the original, in the cartoon Disney movie, Peter starts off by trying to find his shadow. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to reconnect his shadow to who he is. He's sewing it back onto him. 
a life-giving thing for me has been to realize in my past, the shadowy stuff, mm -hmm. that's not separate from who I am. It has room for me to be fully present, to be fully who I am and not have to dismiss where I've been in order mm -hmm. to go where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So I've always been like, all right, Peter's kind of like my guy because okay. he's reattaching that shadow. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, like, because for me, it's, I want my kids to dream like it's Neverland, but never be lost boys. Mm. So it's like, that is like a guiding thing for me is like, hey, play, laugh, live life, make them full, all those things. Especially I wanted to be a, a girl dad so bad. <laughs> and we got two boys. Right. And I'm like, I think this is a good thing for me, though, because it helps me like raise up very healthy, emotionally present boys. Mm. And I think that's the gift that I can that's the seed I can sow back into the world. Mm -hmm. So those those things. Yeah. Yeah. Those are beautiful things. Mm -hmm. So where would we find you on the on the Ethernet? Yeah, on the Ethernet. Yeah, I am at either just my name, which is Xavier Martinez. Um S H A V I E R. And that's where you would find me and my family and what we're doing. We pastor a church. It's mm -hmm. called Tribe Orlando. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very Orlando because we love where we're at. We love our roots. We love the city. We have seen it grown and change and become this beautiful place where, mm. you know, people have finally decided to put roots in instead of it being so transient and people always leaving us and all the good ideas going with them. Yeah. People are putting it into yes. the city and what we felt like we can contribute into somewhat of the the church or spiritual spaces, you know, a safe environment for people who are in process, transition, have questioned. We always said like, let's build a home for the people who are a little left of center, who might not necessarily be on the more known or popular tracks that, you know, seems like follow the stigma of our faith. And we said, let's just create a space for people who wouldn't darken the door anywhere else. And so that's at Tribe Orlando on uh, Instagram. And we meet on uh, we meet online right now. We started meeting at our friend's church, the City Beautiful. So we meet there in the evenings at 6 p.m. That's where you would find us doing community. Right. Probably around a table somewhere having drinks and food or coffee and food, whatever your style is. And yeah. That's church We're all trust. about that. Yeah, that's church trust. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for spending yeah, some time yeah, with you. me and just getting to know your story and what you're mm -hmm. doing here in Orlando and mm. all the things. Thank Until you. Until the next time. Yeah, until next time. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations. 